in a conversation last week with some friends right here from our own church family. These, these men and women are part of our church. They go to our church. They're in the midst of our church. They sit beside us in the seats. They lead us in small groups and prayer ministries and worship teams. They're right here in the, in, in, they're part of our family. And so we had a conversation last week about the reality of what it's like to live in their shoes because for many of us, certainly me included, uh, there are so many things that I don't understand and realize and, and haven't even been able to acknowledge or empathize with the realities of what it's like for some of my, my friends, my brothers, and my sisters in their living out the reality of the racial issues in our nation. And today we're going to continue that conversation. We titled this message or two messages, Make Us One, and so I hope that you'll lean into the conversation. You know, one of the things that uh, I talked about last week as we got started was that it's so easy to be dismissive of this reality. It's easy to be dismissive because my politics don't align with it. It's easy to be dismissive because, you know, I, I, I remember a, a Dan actually who was a part of this last week said to me, you know, there are people who's, who do things and say things like, I'm not a racist, I have a black friend. As if that suddenly makes the issue of racism absent from their reality. And there's so much about this conversation that is inherent to who we, we, we kind of, uh, we are that we don't know or exists in our world, in our culture, in the systems and circumstances and structures that we don't realize are structured the way they are. And so I've asked people to do this. Drop your politics. Leave, leave the party out of it. Leave Leave your statistics out of it. I know there are statistics about the amount of crime that takes place or the amount of, of murders that take place or police. I know there are statistics. We, we, could, we could drill down on any one statistic and tell any story we want to. But I want you to leave the stats out. I want you to leave the politics out. I want you to leave all of that. I want you to listen just as a human being listening to the, the reality of friends, brothers and sisters, co-worshippers, brothers and sisters in Christ, literally, and begin to lean into the humanity of this issue. And today we're going to continue it, but we're going to go a little bit deeper into uh, the issue. And I want to take a minute and let you meet who's joining us today. First of all, Gabby, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell everybody who you are. And then if you are willing to, you've shared some stories that, uh, with us that are, that are pretty unsettling. Yeah and disturbing, and I'd, I'd love for you to share with her. Yeah, so um, my name is Gabriel Reyes. My husband and I, we attend Life Song here. We've been here for almost three years. Um, that's crazy to say. We've almost <laughs> been here for three years, and we have two little boys, a three-year, almost four-year-old Matthew, and a 60-month Ezra. Um, you've probably seen them running around in the kids' area. Um, and uh, I, I consider myself privileged, um, one, because I grew up in um, a very sheltered home, so I didn't, I didn't experience racism until I was in um, ninth grade, actually. Um, I also consider myself priv uh, privileged because I have a lighter complexion than some of my beautiful, darker complexion women that are out there. And it sounds crazy, but some people do treat people differently because you might have a little less melanin in your skin than some people do. Um, but my, in my first encounter with racism, I was homeschooled from preschool till eighth grade. 
Um, I, when we moved here, my mom was attending nursing school, so, and I also wanted, she also wanted to broaden um, our social interactions with people, because there's also, the, there's always a stigmatism, I think it's a lot less now, that um, if you're homeschooled, you have no social life, you have no social skills or anything yep. like that, yep. um, which is completely not true. I had a very, very social, social life. I, I like being around people, even though I'm completely an introvert, but it's really weird, but um, I went to a school here in Massachusetts my uh, freshman year of high school, and I didn't really connect with anybody, and I thought maybe it was because, you know, I was homeschooled, I have no social skills, I have no idea, like, how to interact with people. Um, but then I noticed as the year progressed that nobody wanted to sit with me at lunch, nobody wanted to uh, help me with my homework, help me in study hall. Um, mm. And I thought, like, I, I blamed it on homeschooling, honestly. I was like, why did you do this to me, Mom? Like, mm. I, I'm, so, I'm so ruined. Um, but then I noticed that people were talking about me. I saw notes that were being passed around me. I saw girls treating me mean. And I was like, oh, maybe that's just teenage. Like, teenagers, we're, we're, we're teenagers. Um, mm. But then people were purposely, like, not picking me. Um, purposefully excluding me, purposefully um, looking at me in a demeaning way um, to where I, I remember one day, this is when it happened, that um, there, was, there were three girls that specifically bullied me a lot, but um, there was also the boys in my class. I was walking to, um, from my Bible class to my English class. So this, this was a Christian school? This was a Christian school, yes. Yep, yep. Um, I was walking from Bible to English class, and I was walking down the hall. The lockers were right here. I'll paint the picture for you. The lockers were here. Um, lockers here, lockers here, and then English classroom was here. I was walking down the hall, and then some guy yells my name, and I'm like, oh, my classmate, like, somebody wants to talk to me. They're like, Gabby. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, here you go. And he threw a bullet at me. And at the time, I was like, oh, maybe I missed the catch. Like, I was completely oblivious at the mm, point. I was mm, like, mm, I, didn't, I didn't see him being mean. I was like, maybe he, he, he was just, you know, making me catch. I was a tomboy. They knew I liked to play football and stuff like that. So they were like, oh, maybe they wanted to play catch. Um, I told my mom about it, and she was livid. Mm -hmm. And she understood it, and I, I didn't until mm -hmm. even then, and then even more recently, that they were pinpointing me. They didn't like me because of the color of my skin, because... Um, I was good at my class, like, I was good at my classes, good at my homework, I turned things in on time, but they didn't like me because I was black. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. Gabby, did you, uh, did you stay at the school? I stayed at the school that year, and then I refused to return. I went back to homeschool, 10th grade. I didn't want to go to school ever again until my senior year, where I wanted to actually participate in a graduation where I went to um, another Christian school in Mississippi. I hope that that's sinking in. I don't, know of a, I don't know of a single person never heard a story like that before where someone has literally, literally had ammunition thrown at them implying you're worthless, your life is worthless simply because you look different than me. I'm sorry. Gosh, take a minute, man. 
So my name is Josh Ayantola. Uh, I've been serving at Lifesong for two years. Uh, my wife and I and our beautiful son go to the Worcester campus. Um, and we serve there, so uh, it's... My family has been... Um, my parents were both from Africa. They moved to America in their mid to late 20s or so, and uh, it was really hard for them to just figure out what uh, it meant to be black people in America, um, mm. just because where they originally came from, it was all black people. So um, that for them became uh, hard for them to kind of teach me and I have two older brothers, uh, what it meant to be a black man in America. And uh, so it was just, it was difficult for me growing up. Um, and both my parents are deaf as well. So they have, they had two things kind of going against them. But the fact that they were coming from a different country and that uh, they were seen as handicapped. And both my parents would tell you that they love being deaf and they don't see it as a handicap and they mm -hmm. see it as an advantage. So it's, uh, they are a true blessing to me and, and a, a sense of who I am as a black person. So mm -hmm. um, I give them props. Um, but yeah, it's just the, the first time I sensed racism in my life, it wasn't until I was a little bit older because of the fact that my parents couldn't really teach me what it meant to be a black man. I didn't, no, you know, like as a kid, you just don't know. You just, everybody is different, but you feel like everybody gets along, you know. Josh, at that, you know, in the early years growing up, right, you said, uh, you know, hard for them to even know fully exactly what it means, mm -hmm. but they're discovering some realities over time, and so were you. Um, was your experience prior to the story you're going to tell, was your experience isolated? Were you largely just around other African-Americans? I, I, you know, they relocated here. Like, what was, what was that like? And then the transition to the experience that you're going to tell the story. Yeah, so, I mean, my, my parents moved a lot um, when they moved to America. So they were in California, then they were in Arizona, then they were in Texas, and then they moved to Connecticut. And um, it was, we lived in, in Connecticut, we lived in a predominantly white neighborhood. And uh, that for me, I mean, I was different just because my parents were, were different. Like when I played sports, I, my friends would have their parents be there and they would all socialize, but my parent wouldn't be there because first off, they were deaf so they couldn't communicate with other parents and they just didn't understand what was going on in the sports. They mm. loved me to death, they, would, they supported me, but it was just different. Yeah. So I always felt different just because my parents were deaf, yeah. not because I was black. And it, it didn't really hit me until I was in high school that, okay, I have deaf parents and I'm black. Mm -hmm. So, high school for me, it, I, luckily I had two older brothers that went through the same high school and so they kind of led the way for me. Sure. But um, I had to experience some things for myself that weren't so comfortable. And so, I remember even being with a peer one time at uh, my school, it was after school, and he had brought me to his house and... Um, I went into his house and 
I just wanted a drink, and so he got me a glass of water, and so I took the glass, and I, I drank the glass, and then I put it down, and then we both went outside. And it was maybe five minutes later, the man comes out of the house and smashes the glass that I had just used on a, a rock and says, you, and calls me the N-word, don't ever touch a glass in my house again. And that, for me, was like, I was so shocked that I didn't even know, like, what just happened. And it, it took me a day or two to realize, okay, that the guy doesn't like me because I'm black. Like, and even then, I still didn't understand. I'm like, what's going on? And there was, uh, on another occasion, what had happened to me was one time I was hanging outside. We were just playing, I think we were playing basketball or something like that. And we had just left the park and we were walking back home. Uh, it was me and two, two other black guys, and even a white guy was with us as well. And um, some guys in, in a truck, big like pickup truck, come driving by and throw uh, beer bottles at us and make us start running and are just yelling uh, derogatory names at us. And they got a Confederate flag hanging from the back of the car and just laughing because we're like trying to run to get away from these kids. And it's like stuff like that, like why? Why? It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And just because of what I look like. You were saying that uh, you still experience that same kind of thing in that, you know, whether you go into, you know, in your work, maybe in your professional life, this is probably true. I think you guys even referenced this to some extent last week that wherever you go, you know how to, yeah. you, you, say, you, you speak to it. I don't want to recount it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's hard to be myself 100% of the time. Like truly who I am 100% of the time because I feel like I have, and I, I've learned this growing up, Le it's a learned thing. Like in, fr in front of a white community, I can act very, what I need to in that white community in order to survive. Mm -hmm. And in the black community, I'm very different in the black community. So I, I, I have to pick and choose who, which Josh is coming out today mm. in this community, I have to be this Josh. In that community, I am, what's up, Brother Josh, you know? Mm. So it's, it, and, and even in the corporate world that, I have, that I'm in, like, I, when I go and I, I shake people, like, even, and it's, even in the corporate world, if I see a, if it's a, a white executive or something like that, I'll shake your hand. And if it's a black executive, it depends. I mean, sometimes I'll just shake your hand or sometimes we'll dap each other because that's just who we are, you know? We, we see each other and we know that that's a part of our culture and that's what we do, so. Um, but it's, it's very, it's, there's, there's some things you have to be careful of though because if a, if a white executive were to come to me and try to dap me, and I'd, I would think for a second, Mm -hmm. I'd be very hesitant to dap you back because I'm like, are you doing that just because I'm black and you, you just want some credit? Or are you doing that because, I, I, I don't know, you know, it just makes me think mm -hmm. where I wouldn't think that in other situations. Lawrence and uh, Tim, you guys were joined us last week, but not everybody that 
is joining us today for church was necessarily here. So take a minute, Lawrence, introduce yourself. And, and uh, again, you know, you shared uh, some stuff last week. You're welcome to recap that, share another story. I just, I want to make sure our church knows the people that are sitting with us and worshiping with us that we're, that we're one church. Uh, yes. Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Lawrence uh, Barawiso. I've been coming to Life Song for two years now with my wife, Jasmine, and uh, we have a daughter. Uh, I serve on the foundations team, and uh, my wife and I also do prayer ministry as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, yeah, I'm thankful that I'm back here um, just furthering the discussion. Uh, if there's any story of recent that was more of a shocker for me uh, and my family, my brother was doing um, <clears throat> a play in New Hampshire, and uh, we all went out there to see him. This was about 2017, 2018. Um, for me, usually, because I've been able to travel because of military, there's certain experiences that I experience when I go to the southern part of the country that are a little different from up north mm. as far as blatant in your face. Um, what are you calling it? Racism, intentional or unintentional, just mm-hmm. words that are said. And so and I didn't experience that up north in a while. Um, so when we went this night for his uh, play, I think we get there, it starts about 9.30, we get there about 9, and we're walking from where we parked. Um, there was me and my two sisters. My brother's already in there. And this car pulls up and just yells. Um, I think there were two gentlemen in there, and they just yells, uh, you guys going to have a great, and then he just used a racial slur, night. And my sisters were taken aback by it and shocked. So at that point, in my head, then it becomes a, like, I have to be on high alert. Mm-hmm. Because now it's almost like we're in a territory that I don't know what is going to happen. And we don't know where we are because it's all the way in New Hampshire and stuff. So, so certain things like that do happen every now and then. But that was one in the last few years that was more in your face. And then for the rest of the night, I'm just looking around, yeah. trying to make sure, um, if anything, I can protect my sisters. But, yeah, stuff like that happens every now and then. Sometimes it's blatant, sometimes it's covert. But, yeah, that is mm. that's a story that happened to us in the last few years. You, uh, way you describe that as that the awfulness of that story, is at the the whole the whole you know the next whatever three hours shifts your ability to enjoy the play your ability to support your brother your ability to just feel you know engaged in what's going on everything gets stolen because of the historical reality that plays out in a overt blatant um behavior that robs you of the next you know hours not only just i don't get to enjoy it but now i feel a measure of threat a measure of not only being unsettled, but having to be self-protective and protective of who I'm with. It's not just being called a jerk. There's a moment of someone's a jerk. It, 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 it's a robbery of normalcy and an elevation of uh, insecurity. Just because the melanin in your skin. Tim? Morning, everyone. Tim Moore, um, I've been coming to Life Song since the very first service. And mm-hmm. 
So that speaks to just how much I love Lifesong, how much I love the leadership here, Pastor Dave, Janelle. I mean, just the fact that we're having this conversation um, in, in this way uh, just kind of reemphasizes how much I love this, this church and this family. Um, so thank you for having me come back and have an opportunity to share. Um, as I hear the stories, you know, my mind starts rushing through, you know, whether you want to talk about kind of living in two worlds or, or the first time you experience racism. Um, and I, I want to tell this story. Um, so I, I mentioned last week, I grew up in a neighborhood where there's like this railroad track and on one side is majority black and the other side is majority white. And that's just kind of like the neighborhood I grew up in. Um, but I went to a private school uh, from kindergarten to sixth grade because my brother went to the public school, my brother's older, um, went to the public school and had a very bad experience in kindergarten. My parents pulled him out and then they basically were like, you, you have to go to this other school. So I entered school at the private school and yep. it was a, it was a, uh, it was a Quaker school. So, so a lot of the, the basis was, you know, everybody were loving and all these kind of things. So, so the community was very sheltered. Um, so I grew up knowing about racism, um, especially because my grandfather was in the 92nd Infantry Division, World War II, segregated army, Buffalo soldiers. So I, I had, I knew full well about segregation. I knew about, um, you know, World War II. I knew, I knew about all these kinds of things. And when I came home, that was what I experienced when I was in school. It was kind of sheltered. They, they didn't accept, you know, never got in a fight. Well, maybe mm -hmm. it did. But uh, n never gotten any real, real issues because it, it just wasn't tolerated. Well, I left that school in sixth grade because it only went to sixth grade. And in seventh grade, I went back to the public school that my brother had been pulled out of. And I remember the first day of school was like a Wednesday or a Thursday. So I was just the new kid. I didn't know anybody. There was a couple of people I knew from the neighborhood, but we were in different classes. Mm -hmm. So I, I was literally the new kid and all these other kids had been together since kindergarten, pretty much. So I was literally the new kid. And the reason I said it was like a Wednesday or Thursday is because on Monday was like the first real day of school. Cause I think Wednesday, Thursday were like half days or something. And I'm just trying to make friends and I'm a pretty, you know, outgoing person. So I'm making friends and I'm on the, the, the swings was a bunch of kids and we're doing the thing that, you know, seventh graders do, we're swinging, we're jumping off. And I remember I jumped off the swing and I fell and this kid says, let's play beat the N-word. And they all gathered around me and I lost it. I'm swinging, I'm punching. And it's like my first week, of, my first full week of school and I'm going, I'm gonna get kicked out of school for fighting. But I, I got in this huge fight and nothing really happened, but that was my first, like, we're going to play beat, like, that's just okay. Right. And then two days later, somebody else came up to me and just said, hey, there's two kinds of people in this world or two kinds of black people in this world. He says, there's inwards and there's black. Which one are you? And I remember instantly, I was like, am I going to get in fights every day? Mm -hmm. Like, literally every day. And as I got older, I stopped fighting, just like, all right, just blow it off. And I, I was thinking about what, what, um, what Josh was saying. You know, as I got older, I kept having these experiences, but my reaction kept getting more and more tame. So, and, and it, it wasn't always something to start a fight. It wasn't mm -hmm. always 
I'm going to say this thing to get a reaction out of you. Sometimes people would say things because it's funny. I'll give you an example. So I went to the United States Naval Academy um, and the population, you know, I was definitely a minority, uh, situations that, uh, so in my class, so my graduating class, in the company, so you're broken out into companies, there's like 30 companies and you're in one of them, so you're in 20th company. In my class, in my company, I was one of two black midshipmen and the other black midshipmen had gone to the preparatory school and I didn't. Mm -hmm. So every survey I ever filled out as far as like, how are we doing at the Naval Academy? Like, here's an anonymous survey. And at the end, it would always say, what company are you in? Are you male or female? What's your ethnic background? Have you gone to the preparatory schools? That anonymous survey was, hey, Tim, what do you think about how we're doing? And I bring that up because there was always these situations where I would be singled out, even though I wasn't being singled out, or we'd be at a function. So a military function, we used to call them dining ins and dining outs, where you get it all in your military tuxedo or whatever, and you're at a table with your peers. And some of those events, you were allowed to bring a date. And I remember routinely being introduced as, and here's the black guy at the table. And it's, again, wow. it's not this hateful spewing, you know, let's, let's go outside and fight over this it's kind of thing. It's not the N-word. It's not the N-word, but it was just so everyone knows, and Tim, just so you know, we know that you're the one here as That's the- That's different than everybody else. Yeah, I mean, I've been called the token black guy. I've been called the, um, the black guy with the bald head. Like, oh, here's, here he is. If you were looking, there's Tim, ha, ha, ha. And I have to sit there and eat it. I mean, because what am I going to do? Throw a table, right? So those are the things I think about that it started at a very young age, just being singled out. And it, it started off as a reaction of anger and all these things. And now it's just, okay, I'll eat it so everyone else can go about their day. I remember we were talking uh, about this over the last few weeks, Tim, and um, I, I bet every one of you, can resonate with this reality, but you and I were talking and you were saying, you know, the subtlety of the presence of racism, uh, whether it's the, the, the worst form of it, uh, you know, beat the N-word, or whether it's the, I don't even realize I'm this way, and I say things like, and here's the black guy, Wh wherever it is. We don't realize it. And you, you used an example. You said, why is it that if I were standing with a group of men over there and someone asked someone, hey, I need X help or assistance, and Tim was the guy to assist, that the statement, oh, yeah, you need to talk to Tim. He's over there with that group of guys. Well, which one is he? He's the black guy. Why is it the skin color that's always the differentiator? The subtlety of pointing out or identifying, why isn't it it's the guy in the green coat or the guy with the beard or the, why, why is it the, the black guy, the black girl? Yeah, and I mean, I think some of that is, you know, like does make it easier, right? And there's nothing wrong with saying, yeah, Tim, you know, the guy right there, there's two people, they could be almost exactly the same, Tim's black guy. I, I'm not, you know, I more or less see it when today on the news, this black man did this thing, da 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 da. Mm. Today on the news, this man did this thing, da 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 da. Unless it's this white person did this thing to a black person or this black person did something to a white person. If it's 
It was just about if it's a just man about a, or a woman did something. Right. And it's kind of like, and you don't really notice it until you start looking for it. Mm. Just like I said, more often than not, when there's an issue in a community, the person on the microphone and on the, in front of the camera is from that community as far as ethnicity. Sure. There's people I've seen in the last couple of weeks in all these protests. I didn't even know they were in the news business. <laughs> like, hey, let's go to so-and-so. And you're like, who's that? How come, you know, Ted Koppel's not out there or whoever? Right, right, like, right. How come there's right. not a guy out there? That Why is it that? I mean, I get it, but at the same time, it makes you go, hmm, you read a newspaper. Blackmail did this. Blackmail did this. Blackmail did this. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but fewer times does it actually say the, the, the race of the person unless it's a minority. So you guys experience the same lens? Do you see, does it stand out to you the way Tim's describing, the way that we differentiate humanity, not just the personalization that we've experienced, but do you see the same things? I, I, I have seen it more, of course, as you've helped me see more, right? Um, similar challenges for, for you guys. Uh, yes, I'll, I'll say so. Um, there's certain descriptions, especially when it's negative, that are uh, usually highlighted when it comes to people of color than others. Um, and not to just finding criminal activity, but sometimes um, when it's not people of color, they are more humanized even when they do uh, egregious acts and crimes than if it was... Um, a person of color, then it's it's a criminal history report that is highlighted um, mm. when it comes to that person and not necessarily whether they had kids, how they were as a family and their whole lineage. It, it just becomes, well, he has a track record of criminal activity, um, whether it has anything to do with that present situation. But a lot of times when it's it's someone else that is not of color, it's like, oh, yeah, he was a mom. He went to church. He did certain things just to make them more human and increase the empathy that you have towards them. So, yeah. Yeah. I think it's also, it's an everyday thing that where you can go to Walmart. For me personally, I make sure that I always make sure I have my receipt very high up. I make sure that they see it as I'm walking up the door, it's either on my side um, but I think you become desensitized to it at a point, too, where it's like, this is just how life is. And I think that's, it's wrong, but it's how you understand, like, how you try to survive through it. You you brush it off sometimes, like, this is how it is, and then it, you see something, it seems like it's not going to get fixed, so you just kind of like, oh, it happened again, you know. Are you ready to say something? So uh, as Gabby was talking, it made me think of this. Um, so last week I mentioned the whole receipt and get a bag. Um, and when I, when I go to a convenience store, I always get a receipt and always get a bag. And I totally understand that there are people that don't think in that capacity, like, oh, I should probably get a receipt. I totally get that that's not some people's lens or their life or that they don't even give consideration of it. And I think what shocked me about last week was the, the, the follow-up question from you, and you said, can you explain what that means? And I'm like, I, I didn't think it needed to be, like, that shocked me that there might actually be people that says, okay, I get he's doing, but why would he have to do that? I still don't get why he would have to do that. It, it, if, 
that's the life I live in. And it's not like it happened again today. It's that's what I do. And it's, it's part of my, you know, going to the store and this is what I do. Um, so that was really eye opening for me that there are people that once I made that connection were possibly still like, I, I don't understand. I still don't get it. You know, um, that, that was pretty eye opening to me. Yep. I, uh, you know, this week on the backside of last week's message, there were so many people that are uh, a part of our church and even those not a part of our church that, um, you know, sent email and followed up and uh, commented. I saw lots of, uh, you know, conversations both socially and, and personally around this particular issue and an eye-opening, an eye-opening that uh, I didn't realize while I don't think I participate in it, I didn't realize how deep-seated, long-standing the behaviors, the lenses, the, the shaping and training of things and habits like that existed. Like a, just a, a lot of wow. Um, the, the, the gravity and the grievousness of the loss of George Floyd's life or insert other name here because there are more than one. Um stirs anger or frustration because a human being died. Um, another level because it's a, another black man. But that's not quite as human or normal as when you know Josh is the guy, he and his wife are at Guest Central and when, when someone wants to take steps in their faith, Josh helps them do that. Or they come forward and Lawrence gets to pray for him. Or Tim leads the prayer ministry, or Gabby helps us worship. We're trusting, or Inere, or Nati. And the, the, the human reality that that goes on stirred in so many people last week. I, I wanted to just share uh, Revelation 7 because there were also people who weren't sure that uh, they think this is the right thing to do. There, there are people um, that are that are have been a part of Life's on Church who are shifting their position on whether or not this is their church. There are people who are shifting their position on whether they should give to this church. I want all the benefits that go with it. I want the kids' ministry and the incredible worship and all the stuff. But if we're going to go here, we might be edging too much into political lanes or into um, activism and not into theology. So I, I just want to say that um, it's important that you hear a few things. First thing is this. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 says this, and after this I looked and behold, here's what it says, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from every tribe, and every people and language stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. This is the worship of God Almighty by the scope of his creation, no limitation, no differentiation in terms of uh, authority, power, joy, grace, love, mercy. Humanity is all equal. Creation is of God, and we will all worship together and celebrate before the throne. And the gospel of Jesus, as we said last week, as a result, is incompatible with racial injustice. And this is where I want to take us for the next maybe 10 minutes, is that I think that one of the great problems that we have is the awakening to the gravity, the scope, the amount of, and the duration 
of this injustice that has taken place. It's not just here in the U.S. I, I would suggest that there's been a lot through history, and probably you would too, of activity that is intended to try and undo and, and, and get rid of racial inequity and racial problems. A lot of it misinformed, although well-motivated. Some of it not playing out well. And, and lots, of, uh, lots of the opposite of that, the, the political and the policy continuation of a problem. But it's not just here, and it wasn't always here. But I want you to hear what Scripture says, because if we continue to not only turn a blind eye to it, but simply acknowledge and not participate in being the solution, I think we ignore the biblical mandate around the issues of injustice and oppression, period. And the Bible is not silent on on injustice or oppression. It's really, really, really clear. Let me read you just a couple of passages of Scripture quickly. First of all, um, I don't know who this is attributed to. There, the, unfortunately, there are several names attached to this uh, statement and quote. But listen to this. Justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. Justice will never be served. We'll never get to the place where, the, where, where justice is served. And I would suggest the progression is to the place of justice, not to the place of equity or even equality. Those are steps in the journey. Justice is more than equity or equality. Here's what scripture says in Isaiah chapter one, verses 16 to 20. It says, so wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Those are somewhat individualistic mandates. And then it says this, cease to do evil, learn to do good. In other words, it's not just stop doing bad, it's get educated about what you can do that is good and do it. It is not simply, that is a bad thing, I will stop. It is discover that which is good and right and be a part of that. Because what follows is learn to do good, seek or work for justice, correct oppression, Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. It says, and we love to quote this, this verse. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword from the mouth of the Lord, for the Lord has spoken. Here's what I want you to hear there. And then I want to take you to the Gospels. The author is saying to us that God's word for us as people of faith, period, period, it applies to those of us that are people of faith, is that our responsibility is not simply to clean up our own act. It is to play a part in undoing where injustice and oppression exists beyond the place of our own hand. For, for, for Janelle and I to be aware of our dear friends and our brothers and sisters' pain and suffering, injustice and oppression, and to simply say, Tim, I'm sorry. Lawrence, I'm sorry. Josh, I'm sorry. Gabby, I'm sorry. To acknowledge it is important. To say, I'm going to be sure that my hands are clean. I'm going, to, I'm going to begin to undo wherever it is that I have been unaware or played a part in it. That is the personal responsibility. But if it stops there, that's the end point. I think we miss... The further measure, not just of Isaiah, but Scripture 
all over the place. This is Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. It says, thus says Jehovah, let not the wise boast himself in his wisdom, nor the mighty boast himself in his might. Let not the rich boast himself in his riches, but in this let the boaster boast himself. In understanding and knowing me, for I am Jehovah, I do kindness, I do justice, and I do righteousness in the earth. That's Jehovah. If you're going to boast, boast in knowing the God who does kindness and he does justice and he does righteousness. And the word in the Old Testament uh, for justice is the word mishpat. And it it actually means this. It means free from favoritism, free from self-interest, bias, or deception. That's what it means. So when we talk about justice in our normalcy, in our our Greek and Roman historical understanding of justice, we often think of it as simply the weighing of right and wrong, good and bad. And certainly that is appropriate and good and true. But biblical justice is not simply that. Biblical justice has a a kind of two sides of the the coin. The word justice, there's, there's two parts or two facets to it. It is not simply what we think about, which is the, um, the punitive or punishment side of justice. Justice brings consequence on misbehavior. We, we understand that justice. That's normal. It makes sense. We would agree with that. But there's more to it than that. There is a corrective or conciliatory aspect of justice. It isn't justice if it doesn't have a measure of reconciliation, a, a making amends, a restoring or attempting to restore back to what was suffered or lost. There is, a, there is an amends making to justice. And listen, I know this can take us down all kinds of roads, all kinds of roads. And they're good roads to go learn about. I I challenged you last week to go and become a learner. Don't simply be someone who says, wow, I didn't know and now I do. Go and become a learner. Go and talk to someone like one of the people who's sitting on this platform with Janelle and me and say, I cannot imagine what it was like at 15 years old to have a young man throw a bullet at you. I can't imagine what it was like to be playing in a yard after being in a man's home and having him walk out and take the glass that you took as if you'd somehow defiled it and destroy it on a rock and say, you will never, N-word, take a drink in my house again, come back to my house again, be around my son. Go and ask someone what that life is like. Don't just simply say, wow, it's painful. Go and Go and learn. And then I would suggest, and I hope you have already taken it a step further, gone beyond that to the place of saying, I need to go learn about the facets and factors over the course of history, American and prior, the, colonial, the colonialism of the world and how that played into what we experienced in the United States and what those people of color experienced in the United States. Go and discover the, the, the place when race began to be defined by color and not by things like character and contribution. At one point, it was actually had nothing to do with color. It had everything to do with character and contribution. You were a man or a woman. You had voting rights. You had property ownership rights. Had nothing to do with color. Had only to do with your character and your competence, contribution. Shifted somewhere to become about light skin. Lighter skin, light skin, darker skin. Like, there is injustice there. 
Psalm 149 says, says, God executes justice for the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. Yahweh sets prisoners free. He gives sight to the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down. Yahweh loves those who live justly. Live justly. Yahweh watches over the immigrant and sustains the orphan and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. And here's what I want to do. I want to read to you a passage of scripture that's familiar. If if you're a Christian, you've heard the story, even if you've only been a believer for a day or a week, maybe you're you're joining us, you've you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You probably heard this story somewhere along the way. And I want to read it to you And I want to take you from the place of understanding the story at a surface level to a little deeper level for just a minute because I think this issue of justice demands our active participation. You say, Pastor David, does that mean I have to go take a sign and and march and protest? I don't know that that's what it means for you, but I know it means more than simply say, that's unfortunate. It means more than say, wow, I didn't know. It means helping someone who's hurting heal. It means play a part. Here's what scripture says in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 and following. It says, a teacher of the law came up and tried to trap Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to receive eternal life? And Jesus answered him, what do the scriptures say? How do you interpret them? And the man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, And with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You're right, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But the teacher of the law wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, so who is my neighbor? Commentators debate about why and how that even came up. But the common belief is the reason the question was asked was not so that he could be sure he fulfilled the law, but rather to permit him to uh, not have to do any more than the bare minimum. And Jesus answered, there was once a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And when robbers attacked him, they stripped him and they beat him up, leaving him half dead. And it so happened that a priest was going down that road. But when he saw the man, he walked on by to the other side. And in the same way, a Levite also came there. He went over and he looked at the man and then walked on by to the other side, a priest and a Levite, the religious, the religiously educated, the religiously committed, those who have opportunity and authority in the context of faith, saw the man and found a biblical reason because there were laws about touching the unclean or touching a person who wasn't like, there were laws about it. And the law governed their behavior despite their knowledge of the spirit of the scriptures, not just the legal aspects of them. And then it says, but a Samaritan who was traveling that way came up on the man. And when he saw him, his heart was filled with pity. He went over to him, poured oil and wine on his wounds. And he bandaged them. He put the man on his own animal and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. And the next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Said, take care of him. And when I come back this way, I will pay you whatever else you spend on him. And Jesus concluded, in your opinion, which one of these three acted like a neighbor toward the man attacked by the robbers. And the teacher of the law answered, the one who was kind to him. And Jesus said this, you go then and do the same. He didn't say to him, you've rightly figured it out. He didn't say, good job acknowledging it. 
He didn't, he didn't even tell the story and said the Samaritan saw him beat up and bruised and said, I'm so sorry someone did this to you. He, he said the Samaritan, who was unlike the man, who was actually traveling a road, according to the, the, the commentaries, traveling a road, uh, a, a commerce road that robbers often were around in order to take advantage of people and rob them and beat them and steal what they had, that, that many people traveled it, but Samaritans were not like others. They were ostracized. They were treated second class. They were thought of as less than. Wrongly, but they were. And it was that person who was marginalized, who was pushed to the side, who behaved in a way that most reflected Jesus by not only acknowledging the pain and acknowledging the difficulty and the brutality and the bloodiness and the incapacity that played out on this poor traveler who did nothing. There was, there's nothing that indicates they deserve this. They picked the fight. They ended up bloody and broken and bruised. And the person who was marginalized said, I won't simply acknowledge your pain. I will go and lean into the bandaging and the fixing and the healing of your wounds. He took him to an inn and he paid for whatever was necessary. There was conciliatory, reconciliatory justice he was manifesting. Didn't necessarily change the robbers, but he was living in a way that was manifesting well-being and care for those who had been marginalized, beaten, bloodied, and wounded. And then Jesus said an interesting thing to the religious leader. And I would say this to you. He said to him, now you go, and you do the same thing. He didn't say you go and acknowledge that people get beaten. He said, you go and you pour oil and wine in the wound. You go, and if it costs you a little money to help someone get through the pain and suffering, so be it. You go and do likewise. You go and be the same way. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, it says that we're supposed to walk humbly, do justice, and love mercy. It doesn't say um, to walk humbly and walk justly. It says do justice. It's active. It's participative. It is engaging. It is intentional. And it is biblical. The evangelical church was founded uh, around a number of things. And it coalesced around four items and kind of four aspects. This, this quadrilateral that defines the evangelical church. One of which is activism. Now, activism has a, a whole nother connotation. And some people hear that word and they're like, ooh, that's, it's political and it's bad and it's, 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 you know, it's antagonistic. It's, it's not. It can be. But, but all that that means is our faith without our works maybe isn't that powerful after all. Our saying we submit ourselves to the gospel in word but not in deed is problematic. Our saying that the gospel where Jesus tells the story of the 99 being left by the shepherd to go get the one who's hurting and broken and bruised and wandering off and in risk and in danger does not mean the neglect of loving the 99. It means I also love the one. Jesus made it clear. The Old Testament makes it clear. Revelation makes clear that we will worship together and anything less than us fighting for the humanity, the equality, the equity, and the justice. The fixing of what has been broken to help bring a reconciliatory, corrective, not just punishing justice, but a restorative justice is part of the mandate for us as the body of Christ. If we're going to be one, we've got, we've got to be able to move to a place where we are 
fighting for things like racial justice. As much as we are, justice for the unborn. As much as we are, justice for anybody else like the orphan or the widow. It doesn't stop there. Biblical justice needs to be something that we adopt actively, not simply theologically. Babe, can I share something real quick? Yeah, please. Please. Um, I'm sorry. I feel like I just want to make a, a claim and a statement, a statute as a church. I'm reminded of the story in 2 Samuel. It had to do with the wise woman at the city of Abel. I've shared this before. I called her a ruthless woman. And just to give you a quick backdrop, it had to do with a man, Sheba, who was coming up against King David. He was gonna start a revolt. And King David had told, I believe it's Joab, he said, I need you to go after him quickly before he finds safety in a city. We need to cut him off at the pass, basically. And Sheba took off, and what did he do? He found safety in the city of Abel. And when Joab's men reached there, they realized he was safe within that city. And so they began with battering rams up against the wall of the city to break the city wall down. And out came this wise woman at the city of Abel, and she said, listen, what are you doing? This is a place of safety. This is a place where people go and they solve their problems. They come here and we answer them and they find healing and refuge. You need to stop with the battering rams. And he said, I want you to find the enemy, Joab said. We need the enemy. We're here because we want the enemy that's in the city of Abel. And she said, just a minute. And she went in and she found Sheba took his head and threw it over the wall. And I was reminded of that story as we're sitting here. And I believe as a church, we need to throw the head of injustice, the head of oppression over the wall. Lifesong Church is like the city of Abel. People come here, they find refuge, they find rest, they find healing, they find justice, love, everything contrary to what we're talking about today. So this morning, I encourage you, as a church, we will throw the head of injustice and oppression over the wall. It has no place here. We do exactly the opposite. We do justly, and we do, we do. We don't just say, we do. We need to throw the head of injustice and oppression and all that is wrong, and we start here in this church we have to start somewhere. We can't take care of the church globally, but we have to start somewhere. And we commit to do that this morning for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Last week we ended uh, praying together. And I would love to uh, do that again and um, continue to lean into the spiritual forces of wickedness in high places that are trying to exalt themselves uh, in our world and, um, and against us as believers and, of course, even against our church. So if you would, would you guys join me? Let's just pray before we, before we sing one more song. just want to invite you in your homes to join us. Get off your couch, get off your, your bed, whatever, and, and kneel down. I, I, you know, there's something about 
getting out of the place where we're standing or sitting that is comfortable and normal, changing our posture. And also the, the, the kneeling is a, is a submitted, surrendered posture. Need to be submitted. I wanna invite any of you that wanna pray, you're welcome to. And in a few minutes, I'll just close in prayer. Father, it's me, your daughter, your prized possession. Thank you for loving me, accepting me, caring about me, protecting me. I ask that you heal hearts because this is a heart issue. He is a heart issue. It's not in the mind, it's a heart issue. Heal the heart of those who hate God. I ask you to heal my heart to be forgiving of those who have hated me. Men hearts, God. And thank you for those who have shown love, your unconditional love. Because we are not alone. You've placed people in our lives to show us that we matter, that you are loved regardless of the color of the skin, of your skin. And I thank you for those people. I thank you for the Lifeson Church that has shown us that we are loved. I ask you to bring this fight to an end, God, that people will see everyone as equal. Come soon, God. Father God, we love you. Mm. We thank you for the cross. We thank you what you've done for us, Father. And we, we start there, Father, before we go anywhere else. And I just pray that you would be um, present, um, that you uh, would go before us, and that uh, you would lead each one of us to search ourselves, search our hearts, and search where we stand, Father. And that. Um, you would convict each one of us of um, just the, the wrongful thinkings that we've done, Father, um, and, and what that means and, and how that looks to other people, Father. I pray that you would search each one of our hearts, Father, and that you would reveal that to us. Uh, we just, you are the creator, Father. You, you have created each one of us individually uh, in the likeness of you. Um, at your masterful hand, mm. Father. And I pray that we would see that, Father, and that we wouldn't take that as, mm. that's, that you created something of privilege, Father, but you just created it so that you could see, so that you would be all-powerful, Father, mm. so, that, so that we would know that you are a great artist and that you've designed each one of us differently for a reason and that you know each hair on our head, Father, mm. and that you, you've done that out of love and not to, not to put anyone before anyone else, Father. And I pray that we would see that and mm. that uh, we would dwell in that, Father, and that we would, we would love each other equally um, because you love us all the same, Father. Well, Father, first off, I, I just thank you for Jesus. Mm. That in him, we have righteousness, we have forgiveness. Mm. We have peace and joy. Yes, Jesus. Father, he died. And at the cross, 
grace and mercy and justice mm. all came together. They were served, all served. Yes. And I know that there are hurts, there are rationalizations, there are you know internal condemnation that's happening and all these kinds of things, Lord, and none of it is too big for you. Mm. So in the name of Jesus, yes, Jesus, I break the yes, assignment Jesus. of racism, yes, of Jesus. inequality, mm -hmm. of injustice, mm. of past pains yes, and Jesus. past hurts. Yes, Jesus, break right now. I break it right now in the right name now. of Jesus. Jesus. And I speak life. Yes. I speak wholeness and yes. healing mm -hmm. and grace and joy. Yes, amen. Thank you, Jesus. And unity. Thank you, Jesus. Unity of the faith, Lord. I'm, re I'm, I'm reminded of a quote. I think it was Bill Johnson said, there can be no unity without diversity. Mm. There can only be uniformity. Mm. And we are called to have the unity of the church. Yes. So I just release that. Yes. I release that to everyone hearing. Mm. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, mm. and hearts to understand that we can see injustice and speak against it. Mm. That we can see issues of inequality. That we can see the hurt of people. And Lord, as I'm, as I'm saying this, I just feel like I have to say this as well or that you want me to say this as well. I do pray for everyone involved in these types of issues and, and those and beyond. I pray for our police force. Yes, Jesus. Those people that go up every day and put their life on the line. I know there are bad police, bad police officers, just like there are bad people. But Lord, let, let us see where things need to change. Let us have the courage to see things differently. Protect them, but also give them eyes to see ears to hear, a patient heart. And Lord, I just ask for healing of the wounds and the hearts and the minds of all people, whether they were hurt, whether they did the hurting, whether they said things out of the turn and just feel guilty about it, or whether they, see th they said things out of turn and don't feel guilty about it. Lord, speak to their hearts. We are all your children. Thank you, Jesus. And I just release these things to you in mm. Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you that this church is a, a place of safety, a place of commitment, a place of stability. And God, I, I thank you that you've called us to that. I thank you for even just speaking to my wife's heart about how to declare it so strongly. God, I, as we've heard uh, all of these, all these prayers, God, and prayers all week, prayers from all the, 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 the segments of our church, God, whether that's racial or age or, you know, generational, God, people have prayed all week. People were out prayer walking this week, God, as we've petitioned heaven for the, for the, the breaking of all of the spiritual forces in high places that are exalting themselves 
in this particular area, God. We continue to thank you that you are Lord over all of it. Your power is being exerted over it, that those forces are being broken, pushed back, and eradicated from the manifestation that they endeavor to bring to pass in our community, in our uh, local church, God, that you are first and foremost leading us to the place of surrender, reconciliation, ownership, that justice is being served, God, that people are coming together and eliminating the, the dividing wall of hostility that Scripture has declared it to be, that is being broken down by the power of God Almighty and His Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit of God. We tell you that we want your leadership to continue to walk us forward into not just awareness, but action. Not just acknowledgement, but action. How to be a part of solving the places of inequality, inequity, and injustice. That we would be a voice for those without a voice. That we would fight against oppression. That we would be active in our faith. Not simply acknowledging that, Lord, you would be glorified. That the beautiful tapestry of your creation would be reflected in your church. And that the world, the world would joyfully celebrate its beauty. God, the heart of man is deceitfully wicked above all else, but you, God Almighty, are capable of changing the heart of man. Even our decisions often fall flat. Even our, our willfulness falls flat. We need you to change the heart of man where it needs changing. So we invite you to do it. We surrender to it, and we declare it done by the power of the name of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray all of this. Amen and amen. And we're going to sing one more song. And I hope that you will listen to the words. You'll sing the words. You'll let the words be more than lyrics today. But a prayer and an invitation for God Almighty to do what only God Peace. Mm -hmm. 
My world needs you right now. My world. 